Well, last spring I convinced Pam that we needed a new car. And I convinced her that we needed a new car that did not have a dealership in Santa Barbara. And so I got a VW, which dealership is in Ventura, which I said it's going to be no big deal. I can just go down to Ventura, it's very quick, they'll give me a loaner car, I'll come back, no big deal. It's a big deal. I was wrong. So, uh, the car is under warranty and I have to go down to get some things fixed on it. I go down to Ventura and then find out, you know, I have to rent a car. Well, I'm not going to rent a car. So I decide, I'm just going to take my work, I've got all my books, I put them into, I put them into the car, I've got my computer, I've got a day's worth of study and reading and, and writing sermons and uh, administration on the email. And I've, I'm going to get this thing done while they're working on the car. So I go down, I drop off the car. And uh, they've got a shuttle service, thankfully. And I've scoped out coffee shops nearby, and there's a really good one, Beacon Coffee, that I'm going to go to. And so after I drop the car off, I you know, ask them for the shuttle that's going to take me. And they're like, yeah, the shuttle's going to be an hour and a half. I'm like... What, an hour and a half. They're like, yeah, he's gotten lost, and okay. So then I'm like, hey, it's only half a half a mile away. I, why not? I'll just walk. Which wouldn't be that big a deal, except for the fact that it's kind of ominous. It's one of those days where you know there's moisture in the air in California. It's about a couple weeks ago, and so, but it wasn't raining at the moment, so I walked there. It was good. Sit down and start working. Uh, I'm working through the morning, one hour leads to the next, I'm drinking coffee after coffee after coffee, um, you know, trying to be a good coffee shop citizen. In the meantime, the reason I'm drinking coffee after coffee after coffee is not because I'm such a good patron, actually, it's because I'm freezing. Have you ever been in, like, a building where you just couldn't get warm, and you were, like, cold to the bones? I don't know if it's the overcast sky. I don't know if I'm like a weather wimp because I now live in California. But something was going on, and I was totally uncomfortable. So I'm just drinking coffee. And that means that uh, not only am I drinking coffee and working hour after hour, then I start getting hungry, right? 10 rolls to 11, rolls to 12, noon. So I asked them, you know, do you have any food? They said, no, we don't have any food. At this point, I'm like, in, when I ask them if they have any food, you know, I'm kind of like jittery. And I'm like... Do you, do you have any food? Yeah. And uh, no, no, are you okay, sir? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just a little cold. A little cold. Is there any way to change that? No. You want some more coffee? I don't think I want any more coffee. Um, so then I ask, is there a place around here where I can go to lunch? And they're like, not within walking distance. And I'm like really uncomfortable at this point. So I call VW. Uh, the car's not ready. Another hour rolls by. Well, then I realize this coffee shop is about to close down. So I tell them, you know, I've got an hour out. I'm like, listen, coffee shop's about to close down. Can you send the shuttle to come pick me up? Sure, it'll be there soon. 20 minutes later, I call back. Well, the shuttle's in Ojai now, and he got turned around, and he's got to pick someone up in Camarillo, and it's probably going to be 45 minutes before he's there. I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there playing it cool, jittery, Hangry, that's hungry plus angry, if you didn't know. Hangry, waiting, and at this point, I would just walk back. But you know what's happened. It's pouring raining outside. So I'm really uncomfortable, I'm hungry, it's pouring raining, and 
they were kind enough to the people who worked at the coffee shop there just kind of let me sit while they cleaned up. But eventually, they're just sitting there talking to me, twiddling my, their thumbs, and I'm like, you guys are done, aren't you? Now, this is an hour and a half after I've called the shuttle. So now we are at 2.45. Uh, I haven't had anything to eat all day. And so I'm like, no, you, you need to go home. I'm just going to walk. They're like, but it's raining. I'm like, don't worry. I used to live in England. I'm fine. Right? Final words. So I walk back, and I am drenched. Like, I'm walking into VW, but I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like have this righteous indignation about it, right? I'm going to walk in, and I'm just going to leave puddles all over VW, right? Because they didn't pick me up. So I'm going back. Meanwhile, while I'm walking back, I find out that my shoe has a hole in it, okay? So, like, my sock is wet, right? A wet sock is definitely, like, the worst thing in the world. Trust me. Um, you're like, there are lots of worse things in the world. Have you had a wet sock? Have you had a wet So I get back to VW. I'm like, well, at least I'll get my car. They say it's done. I get out into my car, and then I realize that they didn't do one of the things that was on the list. And I'm like, well, I'm not going through this again, so I'll go back in. We go th- and they're like, well, we can fix it before we close. And I'm kind of like, well, is the shuttle available? They say, yes, because I'm starving. At this point, all I really want is like sweats, a fireplace, and like a really good home-cooked like comfort food meal. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, but instead, I find the nearest happy hour and I'm ordering like the greasiest thing on the menu and filling myself with it, right? So I'm like, what's cheap and filling? So I'm like, you know, fries, all this stuff. In the meantime, I call Pam, tell her what's going on. She's like, oh, great. Well, I'm making mac and cheese, which is like my favorite. And it's so amazing. But the problem is, is by the time that I get back, I'm so full up on like French fries and chicken wings and other things that I've got no room for this amazing mac and cheese, right? Uh, you know, it is hard to wait. It is hard to wait when you are uncomfortable, and it's hard to wait for comfort. And sometimes I think we, we will settle for something that's less because of the discomfort. We meet a man in verse 25 who is living in a situation of discomfort. His name is Simeon. We don't know a lot about Simeon, but we know he was righteous and devout, that he was devoted to the Lord. We also know that he was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is waiting for comfort. See, this is a man who knows discomfort and he is waiting for comfort. He needs comfort. And we know this need, don't we? We know the need for comfort, but we, unlike Simeon, I don't think, we don't know how to wait for it. We don't know how to wait for it, and we are so uncomfortable with the discomfort that we often look to things that cannot satisfy, like fries or chicken wings. Steve Brown is a 
preacher, professor of, uh, at a seminary, reformed seminary in um, Florida. He tells a story about how he was on a plane once and everyone's coming back from vacation. And it was one of those days, you know when it's like spring break time and you know it and everybody's coming back from their spring vac- break vacations and everybody's kind of a glow when they get onto the, the plane. They've got their goodie bags and their, their faces are sun-kissed because they've just been, you know, in... Uh, some all-inclusive in Mexico or something like that. And this was the kind of nature of the plane. Everybody's getting on, and they're all jovial. And, uh, and until all of a sudden, this woman across the aisle from him um, loses consciousness. And then she stops breathing. And they're like, is there a doctor in now? Is there a doctor? And there are a couple of doctors there. And sure enough, there's nothing they can do for her. Uh, they had to make an emergency landing in Dallas. The people come on, they roll the corpse off the plane. And, uh, and as you can imagine, like, the change is pretty stark, pretty startling, kind of dramatic, uh, unsettling. And, uh, and Steve Brown, he says to the, the flight attendant, he's like, well, I'd like you to know that I'm clergy and I've dealt with death a lot and it's pretty difficult and scary. If there's anything I can do, I am here. Uh, I would love to help in any way. If anybody needs any help, I'd love to, if you wouldn't mind, like you could announce my services. I'm happy to pray with anyone. And, um, and you know how the stewardess responded? I know it's okay. We gave everybody free drinks. True story. True story. It's also a very telling story, I think, about the way that we handle the discomfort. See, we often, in the midst of the death-dealing sin that we commit, and it has been committed onto, uh, uh, as commit, that we commit ourselves and that others have committed against us, in the midst of those sins that lead to death in this world, we often numb ourselves with free drinks. And if it's not free drinks, then it's something else. But we settle for cheap comfort rather than wait for ultimate comfort. We are tempted to, to take medication rather than consolation. But Simeon shows us that there's actually another way. Because he finds true comfort. Look in verse 29. We are told that this man who has been waiting for the consolation of Israel says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now that's an amazing statement. You are now letting your servant depart in peace. What Simeon is saying is, Lord, you can take me. I'm content and I'm ready to die. Now, that is something that is easy to say. But when faced with the reality of it, it's actually an amazing thing to say and really mean. I was in the hospital with someone recently, an elderly saint who knows his Bible, knows the Lord, knows salvation. And he looked at me and he said, Kyle, you know, No matter how old you are and how much you know you're going to die, 
and how much you thought about death, you're just not ready for death. And, uh, and I began to, at that point, tell him about the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. He says, well, it's not that I'm scared of death. And he said this to me. There are just so many things left unresolved. I'm not scared to die. There are just so many things left unresolved. I think we all know that. Whether it's unresolved conflicts, the estranged sibling, a parent or child, a good friend, whether it's unresolved desires, Lord, I just, I want to have this career. I want to be married. I want to have a child before you come again. I, I want this experience. Or maybe it's unresolved situations. If I were to die, what is going to happen to my special needs child or friend? What's going to happen to this person in their addiction? I'm the person they rely on. What's going to happen to them? What am I leaving my children with? And what a mess. It's hard to face death in peace. And yet, Simeon says, you can take me now. I mean, do you know that the unresolved issues in life were no different in the first century than they are in ours? And yet, Simeon somehow can say, Lord... You can take me. And I am a content and peaceful man. How was he able to say that? Well, consider what Simeon was waiting for. The text tells us, verse 25, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now this phrase, consolation of Israel, comes from the book of Isaiah. And the latter part of that book. And in the book of Isaiah, that phrase, consolation of Israel, comes over and over and over again. And you have to remember the situation that the Israelites are in. They are facing exile. A foreign nation is going to come, destroy them, destroy their city, destroy their homes, destroy their temple. Everything that they know and love, all the symbols of identity, all the things that give them stability and structure... Those things are actually being threatened to be taken away from them. It is a situation of complete and utter discomfort. And it's in the midst of that that Isaiah chapter 40 following comes and Isaiah speaks these words to his people, to the people of God. And this is how it opens. We heard it before in the service. Listen to this, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, what Isaiah is saying is, I want you to look into the future and to these people facing exile. There will be a time where God comes and He says to you, Comfort, 
comfort. Why? Because you no longer have to pay for your sins in exile. Because your sins have been paid. And you have been pardoned. When I was in high school, I had a teammate. I played football. I know it's amazing. It's like... There, there's video footage and things to like verify this, right? I really did play football. Yes, it was like a private school in D3 and all that, but I played. And, um, and one of the, one of my teammates, he was, um, well, we'll call him Baby Snookums. And the reason we call him Baby Snookums is because that's what his parents called him. And Baby Snookums was 5'6 and, um, and about 240 pounds round. Uh, and Baby Snookums played nose guard, and he was a wonderful nose guard, as you can imagine. He just kind of was unmovable, right? That's in our gravity. Well, Baby Snookums' dad one day had this, um, had this connection where a friend of his had a Humvee, like a Hummer. Now, I am not talking about the new, like, things that you see on the street that are made by Chevy or whatever. I'm talking about a military-size Humvee. And my friend's dad says to baby Schnookums, son, here's the Humvee. Have fun. Which is a great plan, right? Yeah, that didn't turn out to be a great plan because baby Schnookums decides, I'm going to put this thing to the test. And you know, we, like I grew up in the South. We were kind of rednecks. We liked to mud a lot. That's what we did. We all had big trucks and big tires and we went mudding. Well, he decides to go mudding, except, you know, how do you put a Humvee to the test? Well, duh, you drive it through the side of a lake. So he drives this Humvee through the side of a lake, and it gets stuck. The lake won, and the engine drowned, and the whole engine on this Humvee that is borrowed has to be replaced. I mean, this is like 1997, and it was about $40,000 or something like that for an engine replacement on this Humvee, which his dad had to, had to front the money on. And you know what happened to Baby Snookums? Baby Snookums had to get a job. And he's getting a job. He's working on the weekends. He's working after school. He's working summers. Do you know how long it takes a high schooler working at, like, the yogurt shop? To get $40,000 on the weekends and night, and that, I mean, he's talk, we're talking about he's going to be working for the rest of his high school career, the rest of his college career. He's not going to see anything but the inside of the Baskin Robbins for a long, long time, right? So one day he comes home around Christmas. And he comes home around Christmas. And he sees the Humvee that he sank. He sank in the lake. And it's there with a new engine on it. And his dad is standing at the front door. And he says, Merry Christmas, son. Here's your car. He said, but dad, I, I, I've only probably put away like, you know, a thousand dollars. Like, no, I paid for it. It's a gift. It's yours. And baby Snookums had a Humvee. Alright. That message is a small 
a small reality of the comfort that Isaiah is proclaiming to God's people when he says, comfort, comfort my people. Your sins have been paid for. God has overlooked your sins. They are paid for. You no longer have to pay anymore. Your hard service has been completed. You can quit the job at the yogurt store. And not only that, you can enjoy the Humvee. That's the kind of news that Isaiah is proclaiming. And that is the kind of comfort that Simeon found. And where did he find it? Where did he find it? What happens between verses 25 and verse 29? What happens between this waiting for consolation and this peace? Well, I want you to picture the scene with me. Mary and Joseph walk into the temple precincts and this old man darts across the temple and he sees this eight-day-old baby, like newborn. Picture this with the newly uh, new parents. And this old guy, who they've never met before probably, takes the baby in his arms. Verse 28. That's where Simeon found his comfort. And an eight-day-old baby. See, how was Simeon able to get this deep sense of peace and comfort in the midst of all the loose ends in life? Because he found the child who ties up every loose end. He found the child who catches everything that falls through the cracks. He found the child whose life and death and love and sovereignty is enough. He found Jesus. And so he says, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of of all peoples. He says, this child is salvation. He doesn't bring salvation. He is salvation. And he's got it all. And that's what I told that old man facing death. That there is a river of grace and his name is Jesus Christ and he catches it all. And he ties up every loose end and everything that falls through the cracks. And that's the only way that I've been able to rest in life the older I get. And I know that the more, the older and older I get, the more loose ends there will be and the more gray and the more confusion. And the only thing I know is that there, there's a child who's born whose name is love. And he heals and catches all. And his salvation is for everyone. Did you catch that? You you have prepared in the presence of all people. He goes on to say that, that this salvation is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, verse 32. Now, in the ancient world, there were only two kinds of people if you were a Jew. There were Jews and there were non Jews. That's it. Right? It's kind of like the Dutch. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And so, there are Jews, there are non Jews. And the non-Jews are called Gentiles. 
And their understanding of Jews is that Gentiles were without hope and without help, because they were. They did not have the revelation of God's glory. They did not have the scriptures. They did not know up from down, left from right, and they were trying to make their way through this world, and they were worshiping any God they could to find hope and to find help. And yet, the Bible tells us that they were without hope and without help, and the Jews thought they would stay that way. And yet, here we find that this salvation, this child is not just for the Jews, that he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That he is for everyone. And you know what that means? It means that I don't care where you are or what your background is or where you came from. He's for you. He's for you. See, some of you come in here this morning and thinking, well, I just came with a family member or a friend or something. It's Christmas time. I'm staying with them. But, I mean, I didn't grow up religious. This is a Western thing. This is for people who are more into traditional moral values or traditional people. No, 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 no. This is for everyone. And this is for you. This light of revelation is for everyone. And what does he reveal? Well, he reveals how much it actually costs for the penalty to be paid. Look, in verses 34 and 35, Simeon turns to Mary and says, and very ominously, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And then he says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here, Simeon is alluding to the way that Jesus would bring this salvation, that he was born to die. And that he would die. That this is how Israel's sin would be paid for. And this is how the sins of the world would be paid for. Isaiah 40 is that he would have to die. They weren't going to happen through the people suffering in exile for long enough. Because they could never do it for long enough. That would be like baby snookums making minimum wage. How long would that take? Forever. And so what this shows, though, is that if that is what is cost for the penalty to be paid, that, that the blood of the Son of God has to be spilt, well, that's not news that I necessarily like to hear. And most people don't like to hear it. Because what it reveals is the depth of our sin. It says that God couldn't just make a way or give us a plan to say, just do these things and clean up your life. That, that we don't need reformation, we need transformation. That we don't need a better life, we need a new life. We need to die and be risen again with Jesus Christ. Because, because there's nothing salvageable here in its current state. And if that's the case, well, I don't really like that. And other people don't like that. And that's why it says, verse 34, that, that Jesus is a sign that is opposed. See, there are going to be people that don't like this salvation because of what it says about them. And you know who doesn't like that the most? People who think they're all right. They're pretty good. They bring a lot to the table. Which is probably why we see 
Simeon say that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You see, Israel are the people that had the truth, they had the light, they had the blessings, they had the covenant. And so surely they're not as needy. Surely they're not this needy. And yet, Simeon says, no, in order to rise, Israel has to fall. That it's actually the meek who will inherit the earth. That it's the poor in spirit who want this good news. And so therefore, Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy or the righteous, but for the sick and the sinner. That you have to be bad to see this as good. And that's why there is a a fall and a rising of many. Have you been humbled? Have you fallen so that you might rise? Have you been brought low by God so that he might raise you up? This is a message that reveals the depths of our sin. And, And by the way, just to be really clear, I'm not saying this because Israel was so bad. I'm saying this because Israel was so good. If it requires the death and resurrection of the Son of God for Israel, then what does it require? Who is the best of humanity? For the rest of most of us, who are not Israel. You see, this is the grace of God which reaches to the depths. Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, but he also says, verse 32, that it's for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is for glory. The Old Testament word for glory is the word kavod. It means to be weighty, to be heavy, to be significant. And the reality is is that we are all glory hungry and that we all derive our glory from somewhere. That we all look to be understood as have our lives to be valuable, to be weighty, to be significant by anchoring our lives in something. For some of us, it's in our families. For some of us, it's in our races. For some of us, it's in our countries. For some of us, it's in our jobs. For some of us, it's in our degrees. But we all are looking to anchor our lives. For some, it's our relationships and our connections. Uh, It's who we know, and that's why we're always name-dropping. We are all looking to root our glory in something. What do you look to to give your life weight, value, significance? Israel's glory? Israel was great. Israel is the greatest nation that has ever been. Israel is, has the greatest history that there has ever been. Israel has the greatest culture that there has ever been. And you know what Israel's greatness is? It's her relationship to Jesus. That's why Israel was so great. Because it's through Israel that Christ came. And as soon as Israel untethers itself from Jesus, it untethers itself from its weight, from its glory, from its significance. And the same is true for you and me.
See, what gives your life weight, purpose, value? Let me tell you what it is, Christian. It's that the Son of God loved you and gave Himself for you. That's what gives you your life value and meaning and significance. That's where your worth lies. In Jesus and His relationship to you. That He loves you and that He is for you. You see, what the cross reveals and what Jesus reveals is not only that we were so sinful that Jesus had to die for us, but that we are so loved and valued that He was willing to die for us. For you and for me. And you know what? That's comforting. It's comforting because the one who did that did that while we were sinners. He did it when we were His enemies. He did it when we were at His worst. And if He loved you like that and valued you like that when we were at our worst, then what do you think? He's going to reject you now that He's made you His son and His daughter? No. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary, who have been putting their glory, weighting their significance, anchoring it in something other than me, because whatever that is, it is crushing you. Come out from under that burden and come to me and know that I will give you rest because I love you. I gave myself for you. That is comforting. And you know what else is comforting? That the one who loved us and gave himself for us, that if he spent so much to purchase us with his own blood, He's coming back for His return. Or the author of Hebrews puts it like this. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and He will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. It's Christmas time. The waiting is almost over. That's the heartbeat of the New Testament. The waiting is almost over. A few years ago, our staff went to a really nice restaurant. We were small, and it had been a hard year, and I wanted to treat them. So we went to a really nice restaurant with our spouses for, um, for Christmas dinner. And when we got there to this really nice restaurant, that, and this is one of those places like, you know, courses, and every course has things that I can't pronounce and that I would never eat if someone said, you know, it's like, no, I don't like anchovies. But at this restaurant, you put anything in your mouth, and it tastes amazing. And it was so funny, because we all gathered, and we got there. And then someone says, uh, you know, I said, how was your day, that kind of thing. And then it came up in conversation that one person was there. It's like, I've been so excited about this, I didn't eat. And then I looked at another person, and, uh, and they said, oh, you didn't eat? I didn't eat either all day. And then another person said, I didn't eat either. So like everyone at the table, except for me, had not eaten all day because they were waiting for this meal. They said, I am not going to fill my belly with anything else because there is something better coming, something more satisfying. 
And they waited and they waited and they waited. And guess what? It was worth it. Children of the living God, your salvation is coming. Wait for it. It will be worth it. I promise. But more than that, God promises. And He never lies. Amen.